And so going into um, this session, I guess we could recap really quickly. Does anybody remember what Jared talked about a little bit um, last week? Kind of a highlight? Yeah, I do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not going to say it. What does chasing God kind of look like um, to pursue straining forward? Um, can I talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's good. And then he also talked about like this goal, right? What's the goal or the prize of this chasing that Paul is chasing after? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, right? I think to quote Jared, the unhindered, fully realized presence of Christ, right? And then like go back to the podcast and listen to it four or five times, <laughs> make sure I wrote it down. Um, but yeah, the unhindered, fully realized presence of Christ. I think that's, that's the goal that Paul is chasing after. And, uh, and Jared also kind of mentioned like this theme of uh, like waking up and growing up. Um, and, uh, and that we, <coughs> excuse me, it was in reference to verse 16 where, where uh, we, we were called to live in a way that was appropriate to the knowledge that we had received. Um, and so moving on, um, before we read the text, I, I just wanted to cover kind of Paul's heart and his tone that, we, that we're going to see in these next few verses. Um, and, and I feel that um, Paul's tone, or we're going to see, he's really emotional. He uses a lot of words of like endearments, of love. And, uh, and for lack of a better phrase, I feel like he's pouring his heart out in this section. So in this, uh, this emotion that Paul has, um, I, I think we should keep this in mind as we go through this section, because I think it's going to be important. Um, so if you have your Bibles, let, let's, um, we're going to cover sections, uh, chapter 3, verse 17, all the way down to 4, uh, 2, if there's time. But I want to start with verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1. And, <clears throat> and, it's, and it says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love, long for, my joy, my crown. Do you see all the words that he's using there? talking and addressing the church. Um, he says, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Do we see the words that he's using there? Mm -hmm. I need more interaction. Mark, this is yeah. not your word. Come on. <laughs> All right. Um, so I want to keep that in mind. Keep in mind that, that he has his love for, for the Philippians here. And, uh, and I think that he, he gives them this command um, of standing firm in the Lord. And he's doing it in such a gentle way. It's not like he's using a scolding term, but, but I love how he's using this very gentle um, and reminding them that he loves them, he cares for them, and, and that he wants them to stand firm in the Lord. And I think that all the preceding verses that we're going to cover uh, is like information in detail for the purpose that the believers would stand firm. Okay, so everything we're talking about, I think it's for the purpose of, of building a case. Um, encouraging us to stand firm, and we'll talk about that, all right? So let's go to verse, um, uh, chapter 3 again, 17. Can someone read from verse 17 to uh, 4, 1? Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, are, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and, the glory, uh, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Awesome, thank you. So going back to verse 17, and he starts addressing them again, brothers. How many times does Paul use a word like that in the whole book of Philippians? A bunch, right? Like he's just constantly referring to them. So he says, brothers. So again, he's using this word, and he says, brothers, join in imitating me. Uh, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So when Paul says, join in imitating me, uh, he's, he's really referring to um, the pattern in life that he is living. Um, that we see in all of the book of Philippians, of course, but also uh, more closely in chapter 3. Uh, can anybody point out some of the things that Paul was encouraging the Philippians to do from chapter 3? Did anything come to mind? Do you guys remember? Not put confidence in the flesh. Yeah, absolutely. So Paul doesn't put confidence in the flesh. How about, how about 3 verse 2? It's along the same lines of what Jerry was sharing. He's telling them to look out look for out. the dogs, right? Look out for these... Um, the, these mutilators of the flesh. Keep an eye out for these people. Be be actively aware. What else? What are some of the other things that Paul was doing? Just count everything as lost, but for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Yeah, absolutely. So all these things that Paul is talking about, these are all um, a part of the pattern of the life that he's living. And so he says imitate me. Now, I don't think Paul's saying imitate me in a um, heart of arrogance or pride, but I think he's um, doing it under the assumption of um, imitate me as I follow Christ, right? And we see that in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, and it basically just says that. Um, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So in the same way, that's what, that's his heart here. He, he's saying, I'm following after Christ, and in the same way, I, I, I long for you guys, I want you guys to imitate me, follow me in the same way. And I don't think it's just limited to Paul, right? Because he says, keep your eyes on those who walk in the example you have in us. Uh, the verb there is, is to keep your eyes. The, the eyes is, is um, uh, like to notice to consider, to look out for, to keep one's eyes on. Um, and that's something we're supposed to do actively. But keep your eyes on the pattern. Again, keep your eyes on the pattern uh, of life that you see in these people. Um, we talked about the pattern. Cool. Some of these people, I think, that Paul was referring to were most likely the apostles at the time. Um, I don't think they're just limited to the apostles, but we do know that Paul was there, uh, maybe Timothy, maybe he's referring to Epaphroditus, right? These who have walked in a way that had, a, had an example, who have been walking in this pattern that Paul has described. But I don't, I don't think it's just limited to the apostles. I, I think he, he was opening up as well to um, the believers who were living in this way, the believers who had adopted uh, this uh, way of life, this pattern of living that was exactly how Paul is living. And <clears throat> I think in Scripture we do see um, examples of these believers, right, recorded. We have the writings and we have stories of how they lived. And I think we need to go there and um, 
imitate what they did, uh, you know, their pattern rather. But in the same way, I think that, that we should also keep an eye on those who live this pattern now. And I think that's something that's appropriate for every context, for every culture, wherever, wherever church you're at. Um, let me ask you an easy question. Is there anybody in the church here that you can think of that walks in this type of pattern? Maybe a couple? Maybe they planted the church here? <laughs> yeah. Yes, thank you. Welcome. Yes. <laughs> Jared and Mary Beth, right? Yeah. Um, I think Jared and Mary, I'm thinking on you guys. I think Jared and Mary Beth are, are um, two people crazy in love with Jesus. I, mean, I, I see them actively pursuing Christ. I, I see them actively uh, growing in their relationship with Him. Um, but as we look at their pattern of life, I, I don't I mean, come on, let's just be real. They're not perfect, right, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and they, they would agree to that. Um, and I think that we should look at the areas of life that they're mature, that they are walking in this pattern that Paul describes. And, and we should be following them in that way. But I, I don't think that Paul's telling us, when he says imitate these people, but imitate, I think he's, he's saying imitate the pattern, the good pattern of maturity. Right? I don't think if, if Jared had... Um, immaturity and in, in, uh, maybe he was uh, angry often he wouldn't want us to follow him in that right he wouldn't want us to imitate him in that uh, does that make sense um, so in addition to that in the same way that, that we look at at leaders um, I think that we're it's good for us to look at each other in the church um, the true believers and look at the type of pattern that they're living the maturity, because I think all of us are going to have different levels of maturity, right? Some of us are new believers, some of us are, are uh, more seasoned believers, but I think each of us, even within time, um, will have different areas that we are more mature. So, if Jared is is mature in a certain category, we should model him, imitate him in that way, and and uh, maybe if Melissa is is uh, mature in a different area that we should model out her. And so I encourage you to look, keep your eye, and I think that's what Paul wants, right? He says, keep your eye on these people, notice these people, um, not the people, but the pattern, okay? And I guess, again, going, um, just being reminded of, of this tone that Paul has, right? Remember his, his heart for these people. He cares about them so much. He loves them. Um, I think that um, that he does have this encouraging tone versus like a scolding tone. Um, and, and I think that because of his love for, for the believers, he does want to share a warning with them. Uh, and it's a serious warning. And, and again, he's going to pour his heart out here. And he goes into verse 18, right? So in light of this, uh, he says, Many, many of whom I have often told you about and now tell you about, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul's saying, I, I've told you about these people before. And even now, as I'm telling you, I, I'm tearing up. Right, uh, it's it's an emotional thing, and these people are walking 
um, as enemies of the cross. And I, and I just imagine Paul, remember, he's, he's, in, he's in prison, and, and he's writing, and uh, I can just imagine as he's writing and, and thinking of what he wants to write and communicate, that these, the pictures of each of their faces are, are just popping in his mind, right? He knows the names of, of these people who, who are now enemies of the cross, and his heart is just broken. He's just crying. And, and you know, when I was thinking about this, I was like, well, what's the big deal? Why are you crying um, over them, over these people? And the main point there is that they're walking as enemies of the cross of Christ. And Paul further, he, he talks about that, and he says, their end, verse 19, their end is destruction. What is he talking about there? Like hell. Yeah, really very simply. He is talking about hell. And it's, it's this place where these enemies of the cross, these people, are going to be for eternity, a place separated from the presence of God for all eternity. It's, it's an awful thing, and that's, that's why Paul's crying, right? He longs for these people to know him. Um, Paul, they, want? Sorry, I think sin, you could, it also leads to like destruction in this life. Mm. You see, if you're walking in sin, you, you see mm-hmm. destruction now. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's good. Uh, sin absolutely has consequences now. That's great. Um, so yeah, the the, the future. Um, what's the word? The future condition is going to be help, right? And um, and I think that's that's the seriousness of this section. Um, Paul saying imitate him. I think I think we need to take a moment to just think about that. Why is Paul spending so much time or spent uh, a verse there talking about imitating him? And, and then he goes on to say because there's there's people that are walking as enemies of the Christ, uh, enemies of the cross. Um, it's not a hypothetical situation. It's a reality. These people are walking against cross. They are enemies. Um, and it, I think that. Um, and okay, we'll, we'll just continue. So in verse nineteen, he says their end, their end is destruction, um, and he describes the way that they're living. He says their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindsets on earthly earthly things. So he first describes that their God is their belly. Uh, some translations might say stomach. Do we have any other transla- translations that say something different? Their God is... No? That's, okay, cool. So their God is their belly. Um, and, and it's this idea of, of this inner being of themselves, right? They worship their this thing inside of them. Uh, it has to do with reference to like an appetite or um, their... Um, sorry, I lost my page. Went too far. Um, their, their appetite, their inward desire, their self-indulgent um, feelings that, that they um, want to appease, right? And I was thinking about this concept of, of worshiping this, the, a god, right? And, um, and, and I thought that this might be helpful, right? <laughs> so um, if, if, this was, if this was their stomach, right? Like their inner being, their appetite, their desires, right? And, and, and they want to... Um, to worship this thing, or they are worshiping it. Um, I, I would worship it by by giving it what it wants, 
right? I, I would give in to its desires. I, I would live in such a way that, that I, I, I would fulfill what's pleasing to, to this God. And so Paul's saying that these people are walking in such a way that their belly is their God. Their desires, their, their appetite, this, this, um, this inner desire to satisfy these, these um, sinful things, that this is their God. Um, and when I, when I did that, I was like, that's awful, right? A lot of people are doing this. This is, this is gross. It's weird. It's kind of disgusting. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to put this away because it bugs me. <laughs> and, and, he, and he further says that um, they glory in their shame. Um, They're they acting, the, the way that they act and the way that they find their glory in these acts is shameful. Right? They're finding glory in these shameful acts. And this is the type of lifestyle they have. Um, and as I think about that, I think of, of co-workers, think of friends, uh, family members, um, and even, even reminded of um, ex-Christians, ex-believers, right? Um, it, and I think that there is a reality that Paul could be talking that these people who are enemies of the cross are people who are claiming to be believers in that time. But they're just they're living in this way. Their, their focus, as Paul continues in verse 19, he says their, their mindsets are on earthly things, on temporary things. Um, and, and that's just not how believers um, should live, right? As believers, our life is dramatically different than the rest of the world. We're not going to live like the rest of the world does. They're not going to understand the decisions we make because we don't serve this thing, right? We serve a living God. And that's a contrast that Paul starts in in verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, right? Uh, this world we live in now is just temporary. This house, these shoes, our jobs, our careers, our resumes, all this stuff, right? It's just temporary. It's, it's all going to go away. This is so short in comparison to what awaits in heaven. Um, Again, the, the enemies of the cross are focused on earthly things, but as believers, we're focused on what? Eternal things. On Christ, eternal things, absolutely. And let's just think about Jesus for a minute. I like talking about Jesus. Um, can you remind me, where, where is Jesus right now? Heaven. He's in heaven. Who said that? I did. You know the categories that we were talking about on uh, was it Wednesday? No, Sunday. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna make a new category for who participates in church. <laughs> yes. That's a participant. 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 He has the gift of participation. So okay, yes. Good job, Pongo. So, Jesus is in heaven right now. Okay, so, so let's, let's go back and talk about Jesus um, a little bit. And um, I, I, I was thinking about it, and I was, I was thinking in contrast. Um, so, the enemies of the cross, right, for them, their God is their stomach. And for us, our, our God is a living God who is currently in heaven, right? So, so now, 
do you remember what Isaiah said in chapter 6 when he was describing what's happening in heaven? Another point for you, sir. Yes, he's on the throne, and there are these angelic creatures right now that are flying around, shielding themselves with their wings from his, his glory, and they're saying, holy, 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 all day long to this amazing, amazing God. That's the God that we serve and we love. Not only that, but he loves us. He knows us, right? And we know him. And we look forward to knowing him fully in the future. Now, now this, this Jesus, right? Let's not forget um, when Jesus was walking around um, and living life, he lived a perfect life. He was sinless. Not only that, but he was beaten and he was crucified on the cross. And he died on the cross and bore our sins. After that, he was resurrected. Sorry, he was buried, and then he was resurrected. And then he received a new body. We're going to talk about this concept of a new body in a second. And then after he received this body, he lived another 40 days with his disciples, right? With this new new body. Everyone track me with me? Okay. So then after that, what happened? He ascended into heaven, right? We're... <laughs> that's for Jesus in heaven. That's exactly right. So, in, in Acts chapter 1, he, his disciples are following him, and he goes to this mountaintop or wherever he was, and then he starts ascending into heaven. And then as these people are looking at him, all of a sudden, I, I just imagine the sun's just in their eyes, and they can't really see him anymore, and then there's, the Bible says that there's, there's two men that were standing there. And they said, why are you staring into heaven like this? Don't you know? that in the same way that Jesus ascended, he's going to come back. That is so exciting for us as believers. We look forward for this time that Jesus returns. Jesus is going to come back. That's Our citizenship is not here. We look forward to heaven. We look forward to this day that Jesus returns. In verse 20, he says, but our citizenship is in, is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. Our Savior is going to come back. We look forward to that. We eagerly await this, that Jesus is going to return. And, you know, this Jesus, by way of reminder, our Lord Jesus, he's going to transform our lowly bodies into what? In, it's going to be like his glorious body. Remember when, when he was resurrected, he received this type of body? He received a, a different type of body, we, uh, we read in Scripture. It doesn't give us too many details, but I feel like this type of body that he received the body made more for heaven. And, and I think our bodies, these, these bodies that fail, that, that hurt, um, cancer-ridden, right? Our bodies are going to be transformed into the likeness of his glorious body. Notice the contrast there, right? Um, the, the enemies of the cross, they glory in their shame. That's their glory, but we're going to have a type of glory. It's going to be different, right? We're going to have glorious bodies that are like Jesus. Anybody encouraged by that? Yes. That's cool. I, I thought that was encouraging to me anyway. Um, so yeah, we eagerly await a Savior who will come back and transform our bodies to be like this glorious body. And, and in the power 
It continues, by the power that enables him to subject, subject all things to himself. And that same power in which everything is, is subject to, to Jesus, that's the same power that he's going to use to transform our bodies. By his own authority, he doesn't have to answer to anyone. Right? There's nothing that, that he can't do. Um, and I love that. We eagerly await our Jesus. Our God is awesome. Do you agree? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and as again, all this section here, I, I think that it's information and it's, and it's um, something that Paul wants us to keep in mind for the purpose of standing firm, right? Because now we go to, to uh, chapter 4, verse 1, and he says, therefore, right? That word is, is key, and it, and it ties it, this next thought this conclusion from the previous verses. He says, therefore, my brothers, take note of the word he's using there, my brothers. It's a family term, right? Um, whom I love, I long for you. You bring me so much joy. Uh, you're like a crown. I want you to stand firm. And he, and he, he quantifies this. He says, stand firm thus in the Lord. And then again, he says, my beloved. It, it's not like a harsh scolding, right? It's not like he's saying, you guys need to do this. You need to do that. No, it's like, oh, I love you guys so much. Don't you know you're my joy, my crown, I love you. Uh, and, and look, it's just because of, of, of the reality of what's happening, there's people who, who, um, who are walking as enemies of the Christ. Their, their God is their belly. They're worshiping you know, their, um, these desires that they have, their mindsets on earthly things, these temporary things, their, their future condition is, is hell, separation from God for eternity. And because of all of this, I, I encourage you and command you to stand firm. I, I love the way that he does it, and I probably should practice that more when, when talking with people. <laughs> I think I have a tendency to be harsh. But, sorry, it's a tangent taken away from, from the point that Paul's heart for them is to stand firm in the Lord. And I think what he means by standing firm, I, I think it um, has to do with, um, let me just see what I wrote. I wrote, um, in active pursuing um, and intimately knowing Jesus. I think that's what it means to stand firm in the Lord. We can stand firm in other things, right? We can stand firm in false doctrine. We can stand firm in, in um, things that, that are not in the Lord. Uh, I accidentally stumbled upon this quote from Abraham Lincoln. He says, be sure you put your feet in the right place, then stand firm. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, we, we can be in the wrong place when we stand firm. <laughs> um, that, was, that was helpful to me. But yeah, I, I think to stand firm means to, to um, an act of pursuing and, and intimately knowing Jesus. Um, and, and standing firm uh, is oftentimes, I mean, to me, when I think about it, I think stand firm, like, like something's going to happen. Like, um, hold this, stand firm. It, it, it has this connotation for me, like, I'm about to receive an impact, or I'm going to receive uh, some sort of opposition or, or opposite force. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that is also part of what's happening in the Church of Philippians as Paul goes through this book. He, he's talked about it in different places, um, like 
uh, chapter 1, verse, verse 29, he's, he's talking about suffering for his sake. Um, he's talking about these Judaizers. It, and it may not be that they're receiving uh, persecution now or opposition now, um, but they might be. But look at Paul. Where is he? He's in prison. He's certainly seeing opposition. Um, and it, that might freak them out a little bit when they heard, man, Paul is in prison. And so maybe in the cities that are nearby that that um, Paul is encouraging them to be prepared for this type of opposition. Not necessarily just limited to persecution, but I would say um, and, and anything that could um, push us back from knowing Christ would be a, a type of opposition that we need to stand for. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so uh, let me ask you guys this question in time for interaction. When... Um, when we think of standing firm, to stand firm in the Lord, how would you guys suggest that we go about that practically? How do we stand firm in the Lord? And I think uh, the, the quote that you talked about from Abraham Lincoln, like, know what you're standing on fir- first. And I think um, so often our idea of, G- of who Jesus is or who God is is who we wish he was in our cultural context Mm -hmm. as opposed to actually looking in the word for who he is you know um, we hear all kinds of things in our culture Mm -hmm. actually god doesn't mean this or he does mean this and you know and i think the the beginning of that of knowing how to stand firm is knowing what you're standing on and that's in scripture yeah that's good to live a life that pleases the Lord mm-hmm. to really revel and rejoice in His teachings and spreading that that word and living through those works to bring others to Christ. That's good. What else? Encouraging one another and holding each other accountable to live mm-hmm. for, not just be doers of it. seeking God's word when you don't feel like you're standing firm or even when you are and um, kind of like what Keely was saying, knowing what you stand for in in seeking it through God's word yeah, absolutely Um, what? (laughs) Uh, right underneath it it says uh, a practical application verses 2 and 3 of Udaya uh, and Sinichi like getting along and making peace uh, mm-hmm. saying like they they both are believers They both their names are both in the book of life and to not let um, whatever I don't know what the dispute is but to to have to stand firm in uh, not letting that be divisive and not letting that uh, destroy unity in the church. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Because if standing firm is um, this act, this pattern of life that is act- actively pursuing Jesus, um, Paul talks a lot about unity in this book. Right, mm-hmm. his heart um, is that they would be unified. Uh, chapter 1, verse 27, he says, that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And I think that you're absolutely right. He puts 
this situation that he's heard about um, from Eodia and Sintik. Sintiki? I don't know. Anybody have a better way of saying that? Okay. Uh, the situation between these two women. And it's interesting because look at how Paul writes to them. He says, I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche. He doesn't say, I entreat Eodia and Syntyche. He, he says it twice. I entreat Eodia, I entreat Syntyche. Like, he's not taking sides. He's being very careful as to what he's saying. And, and I think the emphasis, yes, Clayton, that, that we should not have this... <laughs> Did you figure out a better way of saying it? No. Um, sorry. <laughs> I don't even know what I was saying. Sorry. <laughs> uh, something about unity. So yeah, that, that, that they shouldn't. Uh, there shouldn't be divisions, right? Like this. If this situation was bad enough that Paul in prison. I don't even know how many miles away was able to hear about this ongoing uh, division that he had to address it. Like, you know, it was bad. And so Paul's saying, look, you guys need to get, get over this. Um, and he's encouraging, right, in verse 3, I ask you, true companion, it's, it's debated, um, it's not clear, we don't really know who this is. It might be Luke, um, but we don't really know. But, but someone that, that is walking in a pattern that Paul talks about before, someone probably in a leadership type position that they would know who he's referring to. And he says, you, um, true companion, help these women um, who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow co-workers, right? Paul definitely wants unity. He definitely wants them to, to work together and to stand firm, um, a continuous act of pursuing and knowing uh, Jesus. Um, any questions about that section there, two, two, three? Yeah, and I think I think Paul's thoughts are are just yeah, very purposeful in the way that, that he wrote that whole section um, from chapter three down to verse two. I'll say something real quick. It's it seems at first kind of odd to me that it says whose names are in the book of life, but. Um, that kind of puts things in perspective, just like what he said before with our citizenship in heaven. And when you consider the, when you consider these eternal things, then a disagreement here on earth between a couple people, it's like, mm -hmm. just, you know, agree. We're talking about one another whose names are in the book of life, our citizenship's in heaven. I mean, it doesn't, when you put it in the perspective of such a, of eternity, it's, disagreements just seem kind of yeah. ridiculous. So. Or it seems so small, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really good. Thanks. Yeah, I think about like how it's easy to get sidetracked with that, but in light of what he just said, it's like, grow up. Like, don't get those little knit kind of things. Like, like here we've got, like, these are people around you that are living and going to hell. And I've called you to something so much greater and imitating. And I often, it's hard for me sometimes when I hear Paul say, like, imitate me. Because it seems like in our culture, it's like, wow, that just seems so prideful. But it's that because he's so deeply uh, standing firm in who Christ is, who Christ has made him to be, um, and confidence in what Christ has done in him. And so um, it's like there's just so many um, 
yeah, greater things to be concerned about and taking and having it being firm in who Christ is and what he's done than to get caught up in some of the other things that we often do, you know? Yeah, that's really good. It, and I think, um, going back to standing firm, I don't think that this is a, a, a type of um, standing in which we're stagnant. Um, I think it's something that we're actively going to be moving and growing in our knowledge um, and union and relationship with Jesus Christ, um, which is maturity, right? And, um, yeah, one thing, um, I didn't really know how to throw it in here, but I was, I was thinking about, and I think Melissa actually was the one that first brought it to my attention, but going back to when Paul says, like, imitate me, um, if we as believers are supposed to imitate Paul, and Paul is encouraging others to imitate himself, does that mean that we as believers should be calling others to imitate ourselves? Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Two of on. you, right? <laughs> What's that? That puts the pressure on. Puts the pressure on? Yeah. What do you mean? If I'm like, hey, guys, do what I do. It's like, oh, I better be doing the right thing. <laughs> and it's not from a standpoint of um, like pride or arrogance, right? It's it's like, no, you genuinely love Jesus. And, and as I think Jared talked about last week, like our response um, to this. my example as encouragement. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've all seen um, the blessings of certain decisions and the consequences of others. You know, I mean, it's almost kind of like raising kids. I think mm. like you're raising your kids with the hope that they won't make some of the same mistakes you did because you know the consequences of those mistakes so it it sounds almost like kind of in a fatherly way um, of imitate me and yeah. yeah yeah it's really good so yeah just something for us to think about as mm-hmm. we mature in Christ and, and I think it's good for us to um, yeah say no this is real the reality is we're not in a hypothetical situation um, people don't know Jesus. Each of you can think of coworkers and family and friends um, and believers that are no longer believers that are living in this pattern that Paul talks about. And in light of that, it is a, a grave situation. And we, we want to live in such a way that's pleasing to God, right? It's a joy, like, um, yeah. Anyway. All right, well, um, let me pray for us. And We'll uh, end our time here. Heavenly Father, thank you um, for Jesus. Thank you for um, the, the relationship we get to have uh, with you, Jesus. Thank you for being such a wonderful, amazing, and awesome God. Um, I'm just still blown away that, that people want to worship other things. And... Um, and Lord, honestly, I just just thinking about it today. I just feel like life's just just hard and trying, and and um, and like Paul was saying, sometimes I just don't really want to be here on earth. Um, I really want to be in heaven, and and um, we look forward to your return, Jesus. We do pray that you would come quickly. Um, in the meantime, we pray that we 
would all stand firm. I pray that we would grow in our knowledge of you. Help us not to be distracted by earthly things. Help us not to um, have faith that that wavers, Lord. I pray for for just unity in our church, that we be of the same mind, same spirit, God. I pray that we would all stand firm individually and together. Um, it's it's true that the devil is, uh, is like a lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. I pray that we'd be aware of the spiritual battle. Satan hates us and wants to destroy us. And thank, thank you, God, that you are so much infinitely more powerful than him and you've even given us authority over uh, over demons but you, you, tell, you told your disciples not, not to rejoice in that but to rejoice that our names are written in the book of life so we thank you Lord for this time and uh, we pray all these things in Jesus name Amen. Amen.